great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to rhyme it. Just that's where he just ran down. Everybody, amazing. I'm not going to remember any of it. That's the way to go. Now he's like on his feet. How are you guys? Who's house? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rams Brothers. I'm your host, Dean, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother and the other fantastic host of this show, Nick. And Nick. The Rams are coming off of a bye week. We got the Seattle Seahawks. But first and most importantly, how are you, my good brother? I'm great. You know, Rams football is effectively back. We have Matthew Stafford playing. You don't have to watch Brett Rippon or Carson Wentz, thank God. So I'm excited, you know, against a Seattle team that we, you know, kind of dealt with very easily week one. So good things ahead. So we're three and six, right? Three and six on the season. We're three and three coming out of the bye under Sean McVay. And the Seattle Seahawks are a pretty interesting team as of recent. But I think the the best way to start this episode is to align on expectations, right? Because like, what is the expectation for the remainder of this season? Are we thinking about developing the young talent? Are we thinking about staying competitive within games? Are we thinking about beating Seattle as a one-point underdog? I just want to make sure that like the expectations are properly set so that this episode doesn't go off on a tandem on a preview about a team that's going to lay an egg, right? So I just want to make sure that we're good there. I mean, I think the expectation is to beat Seattle and not even see where it goes from there. But then after that, kind of temper expectations because it becomes a gauntlet of a schedule. And I don't think it's going to be like a real world where they can sneak into the playoffs this year. But I do think they will be competitive and they should be trying, you know? Well, that's the thing, right? Because you look at the Seattle Seahawks and you look at their win over the Washington Commanders and they improved to three and six on the season. So they remain tied with San Francisco. Six and three. three. Did I say three and six? Six and three. Yeah. They're tied with San Francisco for the division lead, right? So San Francisco at six and three, Seattle six and three, we're at three and six. And just to look at the overall standings within the NFC, we're right now the 12th seed. So three and six, one and three at home. Um, it, it seems like a realistic opportunity as just a one-point underdog getting players back like Matthew Stafford and Ernest Jones and Rob Havenstein like, and Bobby Brown too, all essential pillars to being able to stay competitive and win games in, in late situations, right? To be able to put together two coherent halves, to be able to play sound complementary football, you need some of those supplementary players. You need obviously your core. And I think Ernest Jones and Rob Havenstein and Bobby Brown kind of act as that second tier, right? Because it's, it's just below... Uh, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald, but they're essential players to this roster. And it's essential that these players are healthy, healthy to be able to win games coming off of a bye against a division rival. So I'm at least encouraged over the fact that Rams football is back in the regard of, okay, we're getting some guys healthy. We have our quarterback back. You know, the offensive line is going to be better, um, better able to protect the quarterback. And just in looking at the first game in the season, I thought it was really interesting that all offensive lineman, even with Joe Nopin before Kevin Dotson came in, played the entire game, all 81 snaps. And it was essential to be able to put together a complete game. It feels like it was the last one that we saw from this team specifically. So I I don't know. Where does that leave you? Uh, It leaves you, like, at least personally, it leaves me 
in um, good spirits heading into a home game against Seattle, um, a team that we've owned under the McVay era pretty much outside of last year. It was the only year we ever got swept by them outside of that. It's usually the other way around. Um, so, I mean, I think with with the offensive line being healthy and Stafford coming back and we have Cup in this game who has had a down year, I think there's a lot to look forward to in this week. Going forward, I do not believe we should be super excited. But I do think that they're going to try to step up and knock down um, a team that really shouldn't even be close to fighting for the division. Because if you look at the skill level between them and San Francisco, um, San Francisco is like a legitimate contender. I don't know. Like Seattle is not. I don't think. I don't see them going past the first round of the playoffs. They made some. If they even make it. Yeah, I mean, I th- they made some legitimate moves, right? Like at the deadline, they signed Leonard Williams. So I think that was to help the pass rush. And I think that that's a move that a team that's potentially contending, maybe not on that top tier of contention. but They think bit, that they're contending for sure. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, you know, the move with Frank Clark. And those are all kind of things that you feel like a team that feels like is right on the cusp of being able to break through and win a couple of playoff games. Those are the kind of moves that you make, right? So I think what was really interesting week to week, you saw um, the Seahawks, Baltimore, handed the Seahawks 34 points setback the week prior to the, the game against the commanders. So they lost to Baltimore by 34 points. It was the second worst loss in Pete Carroll's tenure as a Seattle Seahawks coach. And now they're just coming off of a week, which was essentially a miracle in the fact that Jacob Myers was five for five on field goals and two for two on extra points and made a game winning field goal as time expired. 17 of their 29 points came in field goals in that game against the Washington commanders. And uh, you know, that's what Seattle does. They play a fairly sound game on, on both sides of the ball. Geno Smith had his third game winning drive of the season, which is how many wins our team has right now. He was 31 of 47 for 369 yards and two touchdowns. That's about double the stat line of what we saw in week one for Geno Smith, but it seems like he's kind of falling back to that 2022 form, high completion percentage, high passing yards, and then touchdowns when he needs to get them. And you're, you're conveniently able to sit back in the pocket when Montez Sweat and Chase Young and the commanders are, are they're not bringing that, that, like that's, they're no longer there. Right, like that's one sack on Geno Smith all day. You lose Monte Sweat, you lose Chase Young. The Commanders' pass rush is a completely different team, and allowing Geno Smith to sit back in the pocket, he'll he'll break you down a little bit, right? So that's what you have to be able to avoid. The, the pass rush was really solid in Week One, and you saw that moment in Geno Smith where he was like, "Oh my God!" When Aaron Donald was coming at his face, that's what you have to be able to uh, replicate, if possible. Also, um, if Geno Smith goes down and Drew Locke goes down. The Seattle Seahawks now have a new third-string quarterback, and his name is Brett Rippon. So talk about acquisitions for that team. They always do yeah. that. They always, like, pick up one of our guys before they play us again. It's just so it's ridiculous this, and It's lame. the Shane Waldron connection, right? It's the offensive coordinator for Seattle. Spent a lot of time with Sean McVay, and now he wants to be able to replicate some of those things and maybe steal one or two plays that can help uh, improve the Seattle Seahawks offense, but it may be a play that we haven't seen so far this year for the Rams. Who knows what you're going to get from Brett Rippon. He said before that game that he had the best week of practice he's ever had in his entire life. So it's probably a good time for Seattle to bring a player like that in who essentially understands the playbook A to Z and can at least run the scout team in preparation for a Rams game. Because the Seattle Seahawks, they can't lose this game. You can't get swept to the Rams, a three and six team, when you're trying to be a playoff contender. No, you really can't. I mean... Like I, yeah, they're going to be throwing. I mean, they're going to be pissed that that they lost to us in week one. And, you know, they want to think that it's that it's a fluke. But 
yeah, they're going to be throwing everything at us, but I think we're going to be throwing everything back at them. Um, everything that we have, because essentially this is the Rams Super Bowl of this season, I believe. Yeah, this is the yeah. game where where you have to wake up and you know shut down a divisional rival. I don't think going forward, like I said, it I, it's not going to matter where they land. I think it's more going to be about getting people reps than actually like competing and winning games. Uh, but this one, you have Stafford right now, who's healthy. Um, you know, you you you're at up. I mean, sure, you you lost Cam Akers and Van Jefferson from Week One, but that doesn't. I you know, Van Jefferson is a not even a minus in my opinion. So, <laughs> I totally agree. I think the next two weeks are going to set the tone for the remainder of the season, right? Because you got Seattle and Arizona, and next week with Arizona, you got Kyron Williams coming back. So, you know, the next two weeks are going to tell the whole story. I feel like for the remainder of the season, if it's about development, that's great. If they're winning some games, it's also great. Right, because I feel like if you're in that top 15 draft slot, if you're in that top 10 draft slot, and you really need to be able to move up four or five slots, you have capital later on in the draft in 15, in 2024, in 2025 to be able to do so. So, I mean, it's it's not you're you're not going to grasp at straws to try and land on the 12th draft spot versus the 15th draft spot if you end up winning some games down the stretch. Right, so it's 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 not necessary. Right, so. I think that's what's going to be really interesting. Like you, you're talking about week one, you're talking about Cam Akers and Van Jefferson. The Seattle Seahawks defense were missing uh, a decent amount of players. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of uh, well-known players, right? Because Devin Witherspoon was a rookie that we were talking about prior to the season. We thought was one of the best draft picks in the entire draft. And he was unhealthy for week one. He's going to be playing in this game. Jamal Adams, blitz boy, everybody likes to call him. He's going to be playing safety in this game. He's healthy again. Uh, Leonard Williams is a player that we talked about that they just signed. So there's this is a shot from him uh, trying to rush the passer against Sam Howell. I believe he had a sack and a half against Sam Howell in this game. And then also Frank Clark from the Chiefs. So, uh, you know, I, I think those are four players, four really well-known players across the league that are impactful players that are going to be on the field in this game that weren't on the field in week one. So the 30-point mirage which is what it felt like in week one, may not be able to replicate itself. But then the counter argument to that is Sam Howell just essentially put up a perfect stat line against the Seattle Seahawks. He threw for, what, 269 yards and three touchdowns and no interceptions. I think they only turned the ball over once as an offense. So you talk about bringing back the Legion of Boom and trying to bring back that, that methodology and type of personnel. It's not there yet. It's simply not. like The, the Seattle Seahawks have a decent defense, and we're not going to go through all the numbers in terms of where they rank and everything like that. But I think in terms of personnel, like this, it's not one-to-one Legion of Boom. It is definitely a defense that has some vacancies that you could pick on a little bit in the past game. And they're relying heavily. I mean, three game-winning drives by Geno Smith. That is not what you yeah. want to put. Yeah. That's not the situation you want to put Geno in. Um, and I know Washington is like a Jekyll and Hyde team, and sometimes they can look really great. Sometimes they look really bad. Um it felt like Seattle kind of stole one at home against the commanders, which is, I mean, I, I would think going into this week, they're a little nervous about, about that because I mean, we're right on that level with the commanders. I feel like we are like probably our closest and NFC counter, like, you know, our yeah. warrior, I'll say we're very similar teams. Um, like in terms of like skill set and like young talent and whatnot, uh, so, I mean, I think no matter what, we're going to give them a run for their money. I don't think it's going to be um, a situation where, where they can really run away with it. I mean, if anything, I think it's us that has the, that opportunity just coming off of uh, 
the week one win where they yeah. were able to. Yeah. Yeah. The commanders remind me of the 2016 Rams. So the point is you have to, because you're under new ownership, you're essentially, you're not moving cities, but you're essentially rebranding the team. You're looking to draft some top talent in the beginning of the draft. You moved on from two top edge rushers. So you're kind of like breaking it all down to build it back up again. But it's, it is a, it, it's a pretty good comparison, right? Because there are a couple of teams like within that 11, 12, 13, 14th spot that we're all kind of direct comparisons to. But I still feel like in my heart of hearts, just based on some of the things that we've seen from this team, that they are better than a team like the Chicago Bears or the Carolina Panthers or the Washington Commanders. Like they, they have the ability to do so, especially when this team is fully healthy. And it seems like we're finally going to get that in this week. Definitely better than the Bears. Definitely better than the uh, Panthers. Probably better than the Saints. I think the Commanders are kind of sneaky. I feel like we're really close to them. I feel like we should be sneakier than we are. The Brett Rippon game is left a really bad taste in like everybody's mouth. Yeah. Um, but I mean, take that one off the board, and I think you know we've shown that we're a really good team. Yeah, I think the one other thing too, I just want you guys to watch out for the team. Solid. I wouldn't say. Yeah, I mean, we're really good is an overstatement. So we're a solid team. It could be better. Um, the offense, I feel like for the majority, if you're looking at the Seahawks offense in week one, they're going to essentially be the same. You might see a little bit more Zach Charbonnet. You might see a little bit more Kenneth Walker. You might see a little bit of Kenny McIntosh from their backfield. It's really about riding the hot hand, but it seems like Kenny Walker and Charbonnet are going to get the majority. But in terms of their offensive line, Abe Lucas, um, since week one, he's been out. He hurt his knee in that game, but he's back at practice this week, and he could be starting over Stone Forsyth, who uh, got the starts in week two to ten. So to me, that's like a potential vacancy. If that player can't go and you got Stone Forsyth in there for continuity for the next however many weeks, that's going to be something to focus on. But I do feel like if Aid Lucas comes back and he's not as fresh as he needs to be, Byron Young could have a big day. And hopefully the Rams edge rushers can get home and produce more than one sack because Geno Smith needs to be hit around a little bit so he doesn't complete 76% of his passes. So that is the hope. I think for the Rams coming out of the bye week, we just want to see a couple of things, right? Be able to flip the script. If there are predeterminations that are being made on the offensive side of the ball, based on the alignment, based on what you're seeing pre-snap, you have to be able to make adjustments. It's one of the things that Peyton and Eli talk really, really in depth on in their, um, their Monday night, I want to call it a podcast, but it's really the Monday night um, broadcast to where they're talking about tendency breakers. They're talking about lining up on the ball and being able to show things that are not typical to the norm, be able to run things out of the audible, make adjustments on the fly to where you're not predetermining exactly what's going to happen before the ball is snapped. And I think it gives the Rams offense more of the ability to make some plays and, and take the option out of it, right? So take some of the optionality out, take, take some of the option routes out, just be able to get under center and be able to commit to what it is that you're seeing versus just predetermining something pre-snap. Yeah, I think that's part of the part of the problem, at least with some of McVay's play calling, is that it's too predetermined, like wait, 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 go. This is the yeah. guy that you have to hit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I would love to see a little creativity this week. I feel like there's been a true lack of it. Um, th throughout the entire season on offense. And this is supposed to be a year that they talked about where the offense is going to be able to step up in like for the defense because defense is going to look that great. And yeah. there have been a lot of games where the defense has stepped up, uh, like the Packers game. 
and uh, the Steelers game. And the offense was the one that was not able to finish those strong. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm feeling good about this week, though. I'm not going to talk myself out of it. I like the Rams going into the into this week. Yeah, I do, too. I want to see everything from the offense that we saw in week one. I want to see the defense be able to put together two sound halves, and I want to see special teams do their job, punt the ball away, make field goals. I want to see Lucas Havarsik make some field goals, 46-yarder, 52-yarder, let him test it out, but then also be better in situational scenarios, right? On third down and fourth down, get yourself in more favorable situations so that if you don't feel like you have to kick the ball and when it's, you know, 57-yard field goal, you could eventually, you know, and potentially go for it on fourth down and, and be able to make some noise there. So break the game open, stay on the field offensively, and try and get a win here. And, you know, if you're going to call this a retooling year and whatever, uh, not a rebuild, um, but you're three and six at this point, take some gambles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. if it's fourth and three and you're at like, you know, if you're lining up for like a 47-yard field goal, um, I mean, history has shown at least in this season – there's no guarantee that's that's three points, like zero. Like, line up, give us a creative play. Hopefully Stafford's not so far back to make it even more yards. Like, do something quick under center. Why and, do you think you know, um, Bill's offense coordinator, Ken Dorsey, was fired? Because on a fourth-and-one situation for Josh Allen, he's putting himself six yards back in a shotgun for absolutely no reason when you can line up under center and get it on a quarterback sneak or get it on a handoff to James Cook or that other player that's been in the league for 27 years, Latavius Murray. So yeah, it's, or it's not that like Allen, roll to your left. Um, yeah. There should be a, like a little guy like right there that, that you can hit. And if he's not open, take it yourself. Like yeah, don't, don't outsmart yourself. There's no reason yeah, to, especially exactly. against this team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. McVay has a history of doing that. Just look at the 2018 Super Bowl. You don't have to outthink the room. He's, he doesn't have a tendency of doing it against Seattle. That's true. So which is strange. Like you might see a good game, a good well-called game. Sean McVay's had two weeks to prepare. He's level set himself with the baby. He spent time changing diapers. He's comfortable with that aspect of his life. So let's go back to coaching and winning football games. He had a Mr. Mom reference in his press conference. Shout <laughs> out Michael that. Keaton. I saw that. <laughs> well done, Sean. He's probably watching some movies with the baby when he has a chance, when he's not studying film. But yeah. I think it's my... Favorite part of the week, and I think it's time for it. Nick's picks? I think it is. I think it's time. Let's, let's do it. What do we got? We got a song? We got a... We got a little Nick's picks? I got a little Nick's pick shirt. Oh, shirt. it's back. The shirt is back. Nick's, Nick's picks pick. is back? That's from last year. All right. So we're back with some new gambling advice for you. Last week wasn't the perfect 5-0 we predicted, but that just means... It might be this week. Um, I like this slate a lot. I feel really good about it. There's some great underdog value here, and we're about to bark all the way through it. Keen listeners of Rams Brothers the Pod will remember last week I mentioned some huge Rams Brothers lore. Uh, the fact that we have a sister, Carson, she used to love the Wiggles growing up. So whenever I talk about dogs or underdogs, I still hear shake your legs with Wags the dog in the back of my head now and then. Um, and that's exactly what we'll be doing this week. We're going to be shaking our legs with Wags the dog, running with the underdogs. Um, now I wish the theme song was Wiggles related. It's not, but either way, Dean, play the theme. Nick Vaz Degenerate. Nick Vaz Degenerate. Nick, 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 Nick Vaz Degenerate. Gambling rules. 
Nickfest Degenerate Nickfest Nick 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 Degenerate Nick 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 Nickfest Degenerate Nickfest Degenerate That's pretty damn good I'd say top I put that right in the top three comfortably would put that in the top three what are the other ones in the top three? Do you remember? Sopranos is number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was another one, I think, from last year that I really liked. Or no, I really liked the Arthur one. Wasn't that from last oh, year? Oh, yeah. Arthur, Arthur was a big hit amongst the fans. Um, as of, as of recent. Yeah, as of recent, it's been pretty perfect. So no complaints for me. That was, a, that was an easy one and a fun one. All right. So speaking of underdogs, let's start it right off. Arizona at Houston Texans. Kyler is back. He's in the Gannon scheme. It works in terms of Legend of Zelda because, you know, Ganon. I'd say Kyler is like uh, Tingle, the leotard-wearing short green guy who uh, usually doesn't roll with Ganon, a mythical pig beast. But I think it just works here. I think it just works. Tanking is overrated when you know your QB or the future is in your hands. And is Nick going to fade the Texans again? Yes, he is, and he's sorry about it. But the well of water has to run dry at some point for these rookies. I think it'd be great for the league if the Texans can find a way into the playoffs, but I think four and a half is too many for this Cardinals team. I'm not predicting a Texans loss, but I love that hook with four and a half. Like That is a great number. I think Kyler and Stroud are going to be going at each other, and it's going to be really fun. Um, so I think Cardinals plus four and a half, give me tingle and give me the points, and I feel comfortable with that. I'm going to say 21 to... 20 final score. I think you're crazy for betting against the Houston Texans, but I loved the Bengals this past week and they shut them up. So, Hey, you know, but look what Arizona could do. Look what, look what Kyler Murray does in the final seconds of games, right? So everybody, yeah. I think conveniently forgot about the magic that he uh, instills in the pocket. So exactly. And hopefully he gets a little, uh, you know, gets a little rough and tugged and we don't have to worry about him too much next week, but you know, the Rams are record against Kyler is astonishingly amazing. So, yep. Okay. I, I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a bit of a zag. I'm sure all the public money is going to be all over Houston just because they're so fun right now. So Seahawks at Rams, another underdog. The gods have spoken and we supposedly won't have to see Carson Wentz just yet in horns. Uh, we're home dogs, baby. Home dogs against a team McVay has owned his entire existence some people are probably saying, Nick, why? Again, really? The Rams? They have three wins this season. You haven't called a single one. Can you give us a break? And to those people, I say, N-O. I like this spot for us. I like a prove-it game on your own turf um, that you're not done this year. And to knock down a divisional rival who has playoff hopes down a peg. Gino this year, I mean, outside of those three game-winning drives, he has not looked like the Gino of last year. We're not going to uh, – I think we're going to get home to him a lot. Our offense cooking. We were cooking them without cup. Add cup to the kitchen. Mamma mia. Um, I think LA, it being in LA is going to be a huge thing. I think the Rams fans are actually going to be um, showing up for this one. So give me Rams money line. Give me under 46 because I love unders in divisional games after week eight. And give me 30 to 14 Rams victory pie. I love it. Love that. And then also Rams are under 46 for total. All right. I like that. Uh, yeah. 30 to 14. What was the final score of the last game we played against them? Was it identical to that? I think it was like 
33 to I'm looking up right now. 30 to you 30. Yes. You want to venture a guess? I'm going to guess 30 to 13. 30 to 13 was correct. <laughs> so I said so I said 30 to 14 this week. There you go. All right. Well, still yeah. hit the under. So you got Cardinals yeah. and you got the Rams so far. Interesting. Okay. And then my favorite bet of the week, Chargers at Packers. So somehow, somehow, the Packers, who are one of the worst teams in the season, are only plus three against the Chargers. The Chargers, who just went toe-to-toe with the Lions last week, are in a class of their own right now. The Chargers have scored a whopping 234 points this year, while the Packers have only barely mustered up a mere 179. I know we're all about home dogs this week and whatnot, but the LaFleur love combination should be bet against until further notice. Um, They are truly a very bad team. They should be trying to get a better QB if they were smart. And the Chargers have all the pieces right now. I mean, you can say that they're poorly coached, which is true, but they can run down the field. They can score fast. Uh, I mean, simplifying it in terms of betting is not always the best thing to do, but let's just think about this for a second. Just one second. Herbert or love? Herbert. Ten times out of ten, ask anybody on the street outside of a diehard Packers fan who's delusional. I think everybody says Herbert. Um, give me Chargers minus three or give me death. I think this game's going to get pretty ugly. I almost like alternate like Chargers minus six and a half just to make some more money off of it. Uh, 40 to 17 on predicting final score. I think the Chargers are going to have an amazing day and they're going to get their confidence back and they're going to think that they can get into this AFC playoff picture. Interesting again. I don't know if I love the lopsided score, but I absolutely love the Chargers to cover that spread and win the game. So Yeah, I, I, I like so much what I think would have to happen for them to lose that game in like, like the game would have to start off with like a pick six or something or like a fumble recovery for the Packers because it just doesn't make sense. I, 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 I don't know how the Packers are only plus three looked horrible like four or five weeks in a row i know it's weird yeah I know. this is the chargers how because they've been so lopsided from week to week it's an inconsistent performance almost every single week you don't know what you're going to get so that's why i feel like that spread accurately refre- reflects what the football team is it's inconsistent but at least they consistently put up points that's yeah they do they yeah. do they can score they got a great quarterback they have great weapons they'll score points 100 yeah. i like that yeah, 40 points they're probably due for something like that against the defense yeah. like green bay against jordan love a quarterback who, who you know it's just you're right they should be looking to upgrade they'd be stupid not to yeah i i think you would be i mean i think they might fire lafleur at the end of this year and then i think mm-hmm. the new guy's gonna want to bring in a, a quarterback yeah so, i don't know about all that but we'll see yeah we'll see um, but anyway, let's run it back. Cardinals plus four and a half. We got the Rams money line. Rams under 46. Rams Chargers. Char- sorry, Rams. Chargers minus three. Then my last pick. I'm going to take Eagles plus three. Great revenge game spot for them. Um, Travis and Jason just recorded a Christmas album, or at least the song that Dean was telling me about. Um, so we'll have to try to one-up them uh, going into the Christmas <laughs> season this year and have a Christmas theme song for you guys done by Dean and and myself. I think we've been wanting to do that for a few years, so uh, it'll probably get the same amount of listens as one of these podcasts would get in comparison to Jason and Travis, but give it a shot. Why not? What, oh, what's the one that we want to do? Um, 
Little Drummer Boy and Pete on Earth. That's the one. Jason Siegel and Jack Black remix specifically. So yeah, that the, I, two, the two vocals intertwine. If, if if you haven't listened to that version of the song, I'm sorry, David Bowie and Bing Crosby, that is by far the superior version. You have to, Jason Siegel and Jack Black do an amazing rendition of that. And it will be the best version until Dean and I get in that booth. Nothing beats David Bowie, right? But I mean, potentially Dean and Nick. How great would it be if like for Christmas this this year, I just got you like, hey, we have three hours in the studio to do whatever we want. <laughs> like make like a song or re-record all of our old rap music. We, we would be probably spending the first two and a half hours figuring out how we wanted to lay down the track. And then you'd come in with the flute and I'd say, are you laying down flute tracks? Yeah, sorry, too many flutes. Too many flutes, too many flutes. Thank you guys for listening. It's fun every single time we do this podcast. We appreciate you guys always. Make sure before you guys go anywhere that you are ramming. Liking and subscribing. We appreciate you guys always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And go Rams. Go Rams, guys. <clears throat> this week's episode was brought to you by Dean and I taking time out of our lives to do this. So <laughs> love you. Enjoy. Take care. Peace.